boy, if you don't have food, uh, you don't have quality of life. And I've got, um, maybe they call it the most northern garden? I'm not sure, a most northern community garden. Ray, is, is that right? Is that what people call your garden? They do, but it's actually no longer correct. Oh, uh, d- tell me more. So I am the executive director of the Inuvik Community Greenhouse. We are located 200 kilometers north of the Arctic Circle in Inuvik Northwest Territories. But we actually help seven different fly-in communities with their greenhouses. And the most northern one, I'm not sure if it's the one in Saks Harbor or the one in Uluhuktuk, which are on Victoria and Banks Island, but they're a heck of a lot farther north than we are. But are they covered greenhouses like I mean, are, are they covered? Gar- like, like your, yours is unique. I have to tell you, folks, this is Hugh Cruzel, and I do help with a community garden. I, I, in fact, manage one at my workplace, and it's a lot of work, but you've taken something and turned lemons into lemonade, I guess. <laughs> I didn't start this greenhouse. This is our 21st year in operation. This is just my sixth year as the executive director. But actually, it's a converted hockey arena that used to be a part of the residential school system that closed down in 1996. And so in 1998, Garden Society turned it into a massive greenhouse. So it's an 18,000 square foot community greenhouse, 170 garden beds that are um, 125 of them, I think, are four foot by eight foot. And about 30 of them are uh, pretty new in just the last couple of years. I built them. They're one foot by four foot little planter boxes. So, yes, we are unique in the fact we are the largest, most northern greenhouse. There we uh, go. But in the Northwest Territories, <laughs> every single community, all 33 communities, have either a community garden or a community greenhouse. And the most northern ones, as I said, are a little bit farther north than us. Now, that's for Canada. Now, there is uh, Norilsk, of course, in, in uh, uh, the Soviet former Soviet Union, northern Russia. And I'm not sure what they've, they're doing, but I know they've had a release of, of diesel fuel, which is poisoning the landscape. That's, that's uh, another side of the planet. <laughs> In your, your world, how, how on earth have you looked at the documents? Are there video records of how this hockey arena got turned into? I mean, it must have had a, perhaps a steel roof, and now you've got, I don't know what your roof actually is, lucite or... No, we're um, a polycarbonate, double polycarbonate. Um, 21 years ago, volunteers ripped down the aluminum siding and they put up the polycarbonate siding. And then five years ago, we had to replace it to the tune of about $350,000, so it's not cheap. But it does mean we have a growing season that lasts April into October because of the passive solar. So we are 100% passive solar. We do not heat the space. We don't use grow lights. We don't need to. We have 24 hours of daylight for a large portion of our gardening time. Yes, I yes, read that. Have a, I read you've right? got 26 days or 30 days of continuous sunlight. No, you, you read that wrong. Oh, go ahead. Go. Um, 56 50, days. Oh, oh, maybe it's the, two, com- <laughs> it's the two, two numbers combined. There we go. Yeah, so we have basically two months of continuous sunlight, but from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, the shortest day we have is 17 hours. Anyone who's an avid gardener knows that 16 hours is that that wonderful time period in which things grow. So for our entire season, we have optimum light conditions. In the greenhouse, we actually don't have cold problems. We have heat problems because without the sun setting, we don't have a cooling evening. Uh, but this also means that our plants are insane. So for oh, example, you mean like, like um, big? we planted spinach from seed two weeks ago, and we just harvested it. Uh, hang on. Are you, are you talking, like, your your plants are supercharged? Yes. Turbocharged. Turbocharged. Sunlight. Yeah. 
So we we have massive massive amounts of produce available quickly. But normally, what happens is, and I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to jump into it. But no go. Normally, what happens is everybody gets their own plot. So of those plots, we keep about 10% for our market, which we have a Saturday market that starts up started last weekend that the town runs. Um, so we usually have market sales, and we have a veggie box program. So in the south, you'd know them as a CSA, a community mm-hmm. supported agriculture. We just call them a CSA, where we do a subscription-based 12-week program. This year, because of COVID, we couldn't open to the public. So normally, all these plots would be harvested and planted by local people or, or transient people who are here for the summer who want to have a garden plot and grow. Oh, my God. Have you, Ray, have you got to plant them all yourself this year? Yes. So they're all ours. Oh, I mean, you are. Have you been working twenty four seven? Yes. Ay ay ay. What's happening? So I actually do have a small staff. I was able to get some funding to hire four or five people. Get some funding through Community Food Centers Canada and through the government of the Northwest Territories. And we are now operating as a massive farm. We went from having fifteen people on our subscription basis to fifty five. And our goal is that everyone who paid twenty dollars a week gets a pound of greens per week. So we've had one harvest so far, and I was a little nervous, but we harvested not fifty five pounds, but fifty five kilograms of food in our first weeks. We've just started, we have 16 total weeks of the program and we harvest once a week for this veggie box and then sell the rest at market. So yeah, we're pretty excited with, you know, with being able to do high density intensive farming instead of the community garden approach of one tomato plant here and one pepper here. We actually are producing, we're gonna produce a literal ton of food this year, which we're pretty excited about. I, I do know, having been to communities but not to yours, that the the distance increases the cost of food if it has to be brought in. You're growing food that weighs a, a lot, uh, so this is incredible. And, and it's in- nutritious, right? Right. Well, the thing is, too, imagine 53 kilograms of spinach. That's literally yep. me in spinach. <laughs> like, it's a whole human being. It's a lot of spinach. That is a lot, a lot of, of It's a lot of spinach. We, we had nine kilograms of of spinach, uh, 12 kilograms of rhubarb, like, we're not just getting one thing, we are getting a lot of things. This harvest was pak choy, Swiss chard, spinach, lettuce, rhubarb, and radishes, onions, and herbs. That was the total for the 55 kilograms. So people get a really nice package of vegetables, and then at the market, they can buy these super fresh, from the ground, organically grown foods. Now, I don't charge southern prices, don't get me wrong. It's not cheaper to buy my produce, and I'm I say my, but I mean our. It is a community greenhouse still. I don't charge Southern prices because my workers don't make Southern wages. wages. So you still pay what you'd pay in the grocery store, but it's fresh. It was picked two days ago, not two months ago. And it's organic. It's not sprayed. It's, you know, so, so amazing. And it lasts so long in your fridge because it's got nothing added to it. Where do you actually hold the market? I mean, there's a population of, now I'm going to get this number right, 3,200 <laughs> approximately. Uh, I looked that one up. So where do you actually hold the market? And, and is the community arena like close to like a municipal office or a park? or uh, I mean, how does it work? Okay, so usually there is a large, Arctic, it's called the Arctic Market. It happens every Saturday from the middle of June until the middle of September and is hosted by the town of Inuvik. But as you can imagine, due to COVID-19, we've had to change things up a little bit. So this year actually worked really well in our favor because the town has actually closed the park for renovations. And so instead, they're holding the market in the back of the new arena that was built after ours was uh, decommissioned as an arena. 
which happens to be across the street. But they're only allowed to have six tables maximum because of restrictions. So we actually have the farmer's market set up in tables in front of the greenhouse. So it's really easy. We don't have to go very far. You literally walk out the door, we put stuff on a table, and we have you know, lines set up and things like that. So for this year, it's really easy. We grow the food, we harvest the food, we put it on a table outside, someone brings their money, they take the food away. Very simple. Okay, so Usually we'd have to truck it all somewhere. Uh, no kidding. So okay, let's let's. Uh, a lot of people had trouble getting seed this year. Uh, it yes. was not. How about you? What what happened? Luckily for us, we deal with the same suppliers every year. We deal with Jolly Farmer out of New Brunswick. We deal with Professional Gardener out of Calgary. We deal with West Coast Seeds and T and T Seeds, which are in Manitoba and Manitoba respectively. Yes. And we had mostly put in our order prior to all of this happening. I have to put my order in in about November because I have to apply for funding. Right. But what happened was the funding came through, and I went to pay for all of these plants and seeds, and then the board decided we're not opening this year as a community garden. Now, what we usually do is have a massive plant sale May, June time. I saw that on your website. Sent in. Yes. I saw that on your website that you do that. Yes. So we make about $45,000 a year on providing bedding plants to the community, not just in Newvik, but all seven of the Beaufort Delta communities, which are Sigatrick, Fort McPherson, Aklavik, Tuxiak-Tuck, Ulahuk-Tuck, Polituck, and Sacks Harbor. So these are communities that also have community gardens. We work with them. We have a program. That's a whole other story. But uh, we provide flowers for all of these communities to beautify. We provide bedding plants for gardens. And we buy about $15,000 worth of plugs and cuttings and then we turn that into $45,000, and that pays for our staff for the summer. So I'm the only year-round staff, so we use that money to pay for seasonal employees. Well, this year, we're not going to have any seasonal employees. We're not going to open. Nothing's going to happen, and I panicked, uh. and I made the order much, much smaller. Okay. And then everyone went crazy and wants to garden at home. <laughs> so we sold out incredibly quickly to the point that I've actually had to make a, a private... No one knows about it. Facebook page of my own because people harass me all times of day and night. Do you have any more starter plants? Do you have any more tomatoes? Do you have any more peppers? Like people are just desperate. Okay, garden. Ray, you, so, you're yeah. passionate about this. Now, here, I'm going to get another fact. Uh, Inuvik is at 68 degrees north latitude. How did you, did you, are you from, are you a Inuvikian or? No, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not from Inuvik. I, uh, I'm actually originally from Vancouver Island, but I spent a long time living overseas and actually was living in Waterloo, Ontario, and it was 2015. And in February of 2015, it was minus 40 for 28 days. And I got offered a job in the Arctic, and my little West Coast brain said, well, I practically live in the Arctic already. <laughs> so I took the job in the north and then realized that, no, actually, Waterloo, Ontario is not no. <laughs> I remember the Canadian Gardener's Facebook page, and anytime anyone says, is it too late for me to plant something, I, I laugh at them and say, no, you're fine. Trust me, you can grow stuff still. Uh, you live in the land of milk and honey. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not my hometown. I've lived here for six years now, and uh, I've been at the greenhouse for just over five. 
Well, that's amazing. But if you've come from Vancouver Island, I know if you've come from Cowichan, the warm valley, you can you can take a dead stick and it'll grow into a tree. And if you live down in in Victoria, you can you can find a date palm. And uh, you, you anyways, it just yes, uh, things go green there very very easily. But uh, yeah, it's a bit of a mind shift, isn't it? I mean, like it really is. Honestly, it, it's it's been an interesting year this year because actually the gardening is not my job. I'm the executive director. Ah. My job is finding funding. My job is finding employees. My f- job is payroll. But this year, my job is literally everything because I hired. I didn't hire coordinators and horticulturalists this year. I hired laborers who are in town, and so I've had to really shift my perspective. But for me, I actually did grow up in the Cowichan Valley on a farm, so it's it's not that hard to go back, but. Things happen here very differently than what you see in Ontario or what you see in British Columbia. There's no slow lead-up. It goes from frozen to seeded to growth so quickly that it's actually it's hard to gauge what's going to happen. Well, and, and Inovic is Inovic on on permafrost, the town. Yes. Uh, how do you cope? Like, how does that? Does that have any factor in thinking about things? Yes, but we also don't grow in the ground. Grow no, in you grow in boxes. Yes. Yeah, we don't grow. I mean, people do it, and people do it on the delta, like out by the by the rivers and things. But honestly, I I grow in raised. Every single thing I grow is in a raised bed. So we have beds on top. We don't own the greenhouse. The community garden society does not own the greenhouse. It belongs to the college. And so, at any time, the college could say, "Sorry, guys, oh, and don't tell me that." Go. So we have to make sure that we don't harm the permafrost where we are right. in any way, shape, or form, because we need to be able to give that land back. Right. And and right. now, let's ask the question, Ray, is there dirt under your fingernails? Always. Oh, I know. Like in, the, in the creases of my hands. I know, me too. I mean, the hand sanitizer situation is helping a little bit, but like, I'm... I'm I'm dirty. I'm dirty. I'm a farmer these days. And actually, we're getting chickens next week, so I am actually going to be the only Arctic farmer that you probably will ever know. So uh, <laughs> it's pretty exciting. D- we have, I mean, we can grow anything. We grow, apple, we have an apple tree, we have two apple trees. We've got cherry trees, we've got corn, we have tomatoes and peppers, and you name it, we're growing it. I've got hundreds of baby zucchini on the way. So we're pretty excited about what we can do. And we try not to think about the stuff that we can't do. That I think that's maybe the 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 big takeaway from a lot of these interviews that I do is that you know you really have to examine what can be done, and you're you're right, not what can't be done. One hundred percent. And recently, the actually, to be perfectly honest, everyone is you know looking at the negatives of what's been happening in the last few months and what this has meant to our food supply, what this has meant to our mental health. But to be perfectly honest, I see the silver lining in that I have been trying to get people to garden here for years. I've been trying to make people understand this is not a southern hobby. This is an actual means of producing real, quantifiable amounts of food. And so this year, people are starting to get it. Not just, I can grow my own and it's cheaper and it's available and it's fresher and it's healthier, but also, nobody's grubby little hands have touched it except for your own or mine and yours. (laughs) Like, it's very short contact tracing when you look at who touched my food? And when people started to think about this in the spring, people really started to realize what eating local actually looks like. It means paying someone locally to do it, which keeps money in our community. It means getting stuff from right down the street, which means not coming up in a truck. And also, like I say, 
nobody else has touched it. So you feel a little more confident eating that potato or eating that lettuce. And I know studies have been done saying that this isn't necessarily a problem, but a little peace of mind goes a long way in the mental health for people when there's a lockdown. Well, and, and food security is a huge issue everywhere. Uh, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, your concept is the replication of this throughout communities all across. And I'm thinking about, you know, isolated fly-in communities as well here in northwestern Ontario or, or northern BC. This really, you you are, you are a, a model for what can and should be done. Well, it's actually something that we specialize in. So in the last six years, we've helped these seven communities local to us. Um, so my job was originally to fly around to these communities and teach people how to do this. But the reality is, is there's no way to sugarcoat it. I'm a white girl from the South going to Indigenous communities in the North and trying to tell them how to do no. something better. And it didn't go over very well, as you can probably imagine. So what we did was we created a new program where we hired people in the North, people from those communities, people who connect with those communities and connect with the local diet. We taught them how to garden by bringing them to the greenhouse in Inuvik and offering them hands-on opportunities to understand. And then they went back to their communities and grew in those greenhouses and encouraged other people to, people to grow in their greenhouses and in their homes. And instead of seeing a few pounds of food here and there, we're literally seeing hundreds of pounds of food coming out of these greenhouses. And we're seeing more and more people empowered to grow their own, whatever their own looks like. If it's just potatoes and carrots and onions, great. If it's just jalapenos, because they love jalapeno poppers and they can't get jalapenos in Sac Harbor, great. But they get to choose what they grow and how they grow it and who grows it instead of us deciding for them. And we actually have been traveling and working with Nunavik and other communities in the Northwest Territories to show that empowering people to grow their own food is much more important than telling people this is what you should be eating. Right. So um, Canada Food Guide, um, you know, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, imposition of, of, of Southern uh, perspectives on things. That's not the way to go. So. No. Okay, I'm going to go there. Anybody asking you about growing marijuana? Yep, and it's a five dollar fine for anybody who asks me about it. No, oh, I owe you five bucks. <laughs> um, actually, we are a community greenhouse, so as a Canadian law state, you can't grow it in a community space. So you can't grow it in a park. You can't grow it in a backyard, uh, in a, a schoolyard. So you have to grow it in your own home. And since the community greenhouse is owned by the community, you cannot grow marijuana. Okay, and well. People have asked me if I would be interested in opening up a hydroponics facility to grow marijuana. And honestly, my answer is no, because no. I want to grow food. food. So we're working on a hydroponics facility, a year-round facility, um, hopefully opening this fall, that will grow food, because we need food in our communities. I, I agree totally. We already totally. have Canada Post who can ship us drugs. Uh, that's, that's brilliant. I, I just went there because other people would ask me the audience is probably itching to hear what the answer to that one is <laughs> well you know what nobody it's funny because i went to a conference where they were i couldn't figure out why my local government had sent me to this conference and when the conversation of marijuana came up i realized oh they want the grower in town to open a grow off i get it now but the reality is minimum wage in the north may say that it's what is it 14 something um, the lowest I can pay anyone to work for me is twenty dollars an hour. Do you know how much my marijuana would be worth? Would be would cost you to buy? It would be worth its weight in gold. <laughs> Shipping costs, weed costs, heating costs. I pay seventy nine cents a kilowatt hour for my electricity. Because you don't you're on, want you're on gonna grow. <laughs> your community's on diesel. Uh, we are on uh, liquefied natural gas. Yes. Natural gas. Okay, so another another form of uh, fossil fuel. The greenhouse does it go dark? Does it go? Does there a period of of 
quiescence where the season ends and and or, or I know for you as the executive director it never ends but is there a time no, where does. you put the tools away clean them up and hang them up and say well that's that's October we're all done and you turn the yes, lights exactly it we're closed from October into April um, every year we try to stretch that season just a little bit farther and see you know can we get another cold crop out of this can we you know, what can we do? And actually, this year is a prime year for testing. So we're actually, aside from measuring every single thing that goes in and out of the soil, we're also um, going to try to stay open an extra couple weeks and have one last cold crop, see if we can get one last harvest of spinach in before the end. Usually by uh, Thanksgiving weekend is usually when we start to close up. I'm going to try to stay open until Halloween this year. Okay, so the building was not built for you. I mean, you had it was adapted, and you've been there six years. Is the orientation in, in such a way that it is really good? I'm just wondering if you mentioned about heat, if there are hot spots and cooler spots within the building, or because of ventilation, it just makes it pretty, you know, everywhere is the same. Well, it's, it's been in operation for 21 years. I've been yeah. there six years. Yes. Um, everyone always asks that. Oh, like, I want a plot that's south-facing, or I want that because it's south-facing. Um, when the sun just circles overhead of you, there's no such thing. <laughs> so, no, <laughs> not really. I mean, certain parts of the greenhouse get slightly warmer, and actually we're trying to play with that a little bit this year because we are doing a non-community greenhouse. Yes. We're trying to look at having the hotter plants in the sections that seem to be a little bit warmer because uh, they're, they're far away from the door. Uh, basically, does it affect then, uh, Ray? Does it affect your uh, your choice of varieties? Like you don't just nobody who really does gardening just buys peas. You buy green marvel or 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 uh, tender tender pod or whatever. Did you did you select your varieties based? I mean, obviously you you know what works and what doesn't. But uh, you know, like heavyweights are a huge producer in in terms of peas. Um, did it does that affect your your thought process in choosing the you know selection? So for us, it's like length of time. So we purchase plugs and cuttings and seeds based on growth time. So right. if I look at something and it says anything more than 90 days, we don't do it. Right. Um, just because anything could happen. So for example, it's been 26 to 28 degrees here for the last two weeks. My fireplace is on right now and it's three degrees. Anything could happen in the Arctic. We could have snow tomorrow. So I pick the fastest things possible so that if there is a crummy, sorry, if there's a crummy August, we know we're still going to get some food because we take it things that are harvestable quicker than others. I tried Brussels sprouts a couple years, which I had some success with, but not a lot because they take 120 days. Right. So even with this, sorry, we're in my house and there's dogs. So even with the sunlight taking down that time, so if something says 90 days, it's actually only 75 for us, or 30 right. days is only 20. But 120 days is hard to cram into a short Arctic season. Because, as you said, everything's turbocharged. Okay, so if the conditions change, do you have supplemental heat? No. So it, imagine an old-style hockey arena built in the 1970s. It's a massive tin can. <laughs> Somebody at, We have one room that we can heat upstairs that we use for the plugs and cuttings early in the season. Yes. So, like, they come in April, and we heat it for a month. And it costs us $2,000 to heat that space for one month. If we start any earlier, it got cost more and more. Yes. So if somebody accidentally left the heat on in February one year, and we got an $8,000 heating bill. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. So when people say to me, oh, are you going to turn the lights on? Or are you going to turn the heat on? I laugh at their face. Because no, it's a big open tin can. 
and the heat would just escape immediately. We of such course. a waste of energy. And of so, course. you know, the cost of the food is going to rise even more. Yes. Well, you've, uh, Ray, what an interesting, again, remind us your name and your actual title and, and where you are. <laughs> so my name is Ray Salachi. I'm the executive director of the Inuvik Community Greenhouse located in Inuvik Northwest Territories. And, and you know, people can find you by just Googling Inuvik and Greenhouse. Um, I, yeah. I know I did. What a fascinating Canadian story. Um, on the edge. I mean, you're pushing limits, aren't you? You know, honestly, up until recently, I would say no. We're just a greenhouse and just people planting their carrots and planting their radishes and doing whatever they want to to have a little bit of food in their house. But I think in the last couple of years, we've made some huge changes and strides in food security in the North. And we've really started to gain some massive partnerships. And if we can raise the funds we require for this year-round greenhouse, I think we can really pull off something that could be a model for other communities. A lot of a lot of us trying to do this make the same mistake in that we think we're reinventing the wheel every time we start these projects. But the reality is there are communities all over the north that are doing exactly what we're doing. Uh, Kujuak and Anipshuak in uh, Nunavik have excellent garden programs. They build... Um, cold frames out in yards. There's greenhouses in Nunavut. There's greenhouses all over the Northwest Territories. There's a farm training institute in the Northwest Territories in Hay River. Hay River, There's yes. a lot of places doing this, but everyone thinks they're doing something brand new and exclusive, and we all work in silos. Well, look at- so we're trying very, very hard to... <laughs> coordinate and work together and make it a little bit easier on everybody. Well, Ray, you, you've educated us. Thank you so much for taking <laughs> time today. Well, thanks for having me, Hugh. Oh, uh, an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to CKLU 96.7 on your FM dial. You might be listening synchronously as well to cklu.ca on the internet. And, of course, you can listen anytime. Your convenience, just uh, asynchronous. Yeah, non-terrestrial radio podcast. Just Google my name, Hugh Cruzel, and podcast, and you'll find this and an archive of information, uh, previous recordings. Uh, thank you very much to, uh, to my guest today for appearing and, and truly educating us about growing food in the North. Now, Ray, I, I understand that you have a GoFundMe page that does help with this this project as well. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. We've actually been raising money for a year-round commercial greenhouse for a little while now. We uh, It's going to cost us about half a million dollars, so anything we can get helps. Basically, you just go to our Facebook page, and it should be pretty easy to find. If you look for a Nuvik Community Greenhouse, uh, and then there'll be a link for GoFundMe on there. And, you know, even just a share helps other people see, and 50 bucks helps, 20 bucks helps. Ray, thank you so much for that. And I do encourage the audience to, well, if you're you're looking somewhere to provide, you want to support a project, this is a very valuable project and and, uh, contributes to the tapestry of Canada and certainly to uh, the, the essence of agriculture in the North.